You're listening to Eavesdropping. This week's episode is talking about child neglect and eating disorders, so please listen with caution. Hey Michelle. Hey Geordie. How are you? I'm a bit sad actually. Did you hear Taylor Hawkins has passed away? I've just found out this morning and I'm devastated. He's my favourite drummer of, well, one of my favourite drummers of all time. Foo Fighters is one of my absolute top, top bands. And I was lucky enough to see them so many times with Taylor Hawkins playing drums. Wow. And actually I even saw him playing with Roger Taylor from Queen and Brian May one time. What? Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. That was a thing. So I'm devastated. Really sad news. Do you know what I'm going to do, Michelle, as a as a, an homage to Taylor mm-hmm. and the Foo Fighters, is I'm going to do a couple of songs later on my guitar, a couple of my favourite Foo Fighters songs, and I'm going to post them perhaps on, on our... On Patreon. Patreon, oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. I'll send it to you, see if you can record over with some backing vocals, because you are the queen of the harmony. Well, when I'm being serious, but for eavesdropping, all anyone ever hears me doing is going, drop, 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 and doing, I don't know. So, yeah. Oh, well, RIP. RIP Taylor Hawkins. Mm, What a loss. What a loss. Uh, Have you read anything good in the news this week? Mm, I have got something to tell you, actually, Michelle. You know, the spring has sprung Mm. and all that. And it's it's feeling pretty sunny here. Unfortunately, you just went back to the mountains, didn't you? So you kind of missed the really sunny days. Or if they were sunny, I was on my back with COVID. By the way, I'm COVID-free now, but I still sound a bit coldy-woldy because obviously it lingers. It does linger. But, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be sorry for me with this sunshine because you should see outside. It is blazing hot. Is it nice? You, the ice caps. The, uh, the ice caps are chunking away. They're melting, aren't they? We lost one yesterday. Yeah, they are. And here, the glacier yeah. is, I mean, it's drip, drip, dripping away. You can see it's melting. Ooh. It's not good. Oh, God. I mean, guys, if you, you've got to get in in the next 10 years. Otherwise, you know, the, the skiing landscape's not going to be what you remember. It's absolutely terrifying. But yes, tell me, oh, tell God. me, what have you got for me? Happy days. Happy days. So, spring. And I was taking a dog walk and I saw a crow cawing at me from a budding tree. And it made me think of something that I've heard. What? Birds aren't real, Michelle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> birds, are, birds aren't real, mate. Sorry. <laughs> what are they? Well, they're not real for a start. There's an official website and there's a birds aren't real movement. And on the website, it says that this movement has been active since 1976. Mm. And it was once a preventative cause. And their initial goal was to stop the genocide of all these real birds. But unfortunately, it was successful, the genocide of the birds. And the government has since replaced all living birds with robotic replicas. And you're going to hate this, Michelle, because what are they doing? They're spying on us. Okay. Well, I can tell you right now, my neighbor's cat, who I keep getting accused of having stolen this cat, but we all know you can't steal a cat. Cats do whatever the fuck they want. But this cat brings birds to the doorstep ripped mm. open they're not robotic they're full of guts well th- <laughs> coming it out. could be just the ones it could just be the ones in the united states then because over mm. 600,000 followers on tiktok and 350,000 followers on instagram have been following this movement since its creation it's currently being run by 23 year old peter mckindo or mackindo and he's mm. finally 
come out of character to reveal the true meaning behind the group. So he did actually found this group on a whim in January 2017, just after Trump was sworn in as president. Right. He was walking past a women's march and he spotted Trump supporting counter-protesters and decided to write, birds aren't real on a piece of paper. (laughs) It was a spontaneous joke, but it was just a reflection of the absurdity that everyone was feeling is what he said. Later, he wrote up a fake history on the movement with his friend. And today, the group continues to fight misinformation with lunacy, hoping to parody and bring attention to the absurdism of today's real conspiracies, such as QAnon. Now, okay, two things here. First of all, this sounds very much like the Illuminati and how they were kind of creating bullshit and then they end up believing it themselves. Secondly, Q, that brings me to something I read this week. Oh. Yeah. Well, do you know what? It's Q, but it's not Q. It's just anonymous. Oh, oh, anonymous. Yes, I know that. Yeah, anonymous. And I read this great article on hacktivism. Oh. Yes. And so what it is, it all started on 4chan, like everything does. Yes. Um, And... Just recently, uh, this is why it's all kind of come to light. There was the, the hacktivists. Obviously, it's computer hackers with you know yeah. who are political activists. Hence, hacktivists. Hacktivism. Yes, they're a yes. hacktivist. I didn't make that up, by the way. I wish I did. It's quite no. good. There was a super yacht called Graceful. And it is one of those insane kind of super yachts. It's got, you know like 15 gold gilded rooms and indoor swimming pool. I mean, it's like super rich. Reportedly, Putin owns it. Wow. And the hacktivists got in. I think it's actually moored in like Saint-Tropez or somewhere. But suddenly Putin's ship or super yacht was on a crash course into these rocks. And the signal that it was transmitting was FCKPTN. Fuck Putin. (laughs) And then <laughs> it was just, it was like beep, 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 smash. And oh my gosh, and it was, somebody got on there and activated it. Well, that's the thing. The, it, it turns out like it was a false alarm because the boat's absolutely safe, but freaked oh. Putin out and a message, <gasps> fuck Putin, went through loud and clear. And so what the hacktivists are trying to do is, you know, they're not trying to, you know, hack in and find secrets. They're just trying to cause up trouble through mischief and and that kind of thing. Like that bunch that started the second round of Illuminati. Yeah. Exclamation mark at the end. Yes. So, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting. And I'll post a link to the article if I – because I actually read that on actual paper, a paper article. So if I could – if it's online anywhere, I'll I'll post a a link to that in the show notes. Nice. Yeah. So there you go. That was – Good one, Michelle. Yeah, that was really badly told because I was – I'm still trying not to sniff. I hope you didn't give me COVID. I think I probably did. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Sorry. Now, I haven't heard from Al Teggett. I'm hoping he liked – he loved his Canberra murder. (laughs) Because he does love a murder. He does love a murder, (laughs) old Al. So I looked into a certain topic today, feral children, i.e. raised by wolves. Raised by wolves. That's fantastic. Well, not really, actually. I mean, it is – no. Almost, but not quite. So I investigated this case of this child who had gone feral. And mm. and like I said, it's not exactly raised by wolves, but pretty close. This is the case of a Ukrainian girl called 
Oksana Malaya. And oh. do you know this one? I think I it's ringing some very loud bells yeah. in this brain of mine. Yeah, it's it's quite a famous case along with another child called Jeannie. They're kind of like the 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 poster children for feral feral stud uh-huh. like and and psychologists who want to study this. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Fascinating. What year is this Michelle? So she was born in 1983, but mm-hmm. by 1986 at just 3 years of age. She yeah. was neglected so badly by her alcoholic parents that oh. one night when her parents were just, you know, too fucked up drunk to realize they'd left her outside in the freezing cold. A what? Yeah. Oksana went looking for somewhere warm to sleep. So they lived on a farm and she crawled into one of the makeshift farmyard kennels on the property where the mongrel dogs who they that were on the property, they would sleep in this kind of... I don't really think it was like a dog kennel that we imagine with like, oh, a nice little house with a picture no. of a bone on the front or whatever. Like I think it was yeah. just a and shitty... Fido's name written across the top. Yeah, yeah, I think it was... Or Joy Boy. <laughs> What? Do you remember I used to hang out? I used to hang out. Didn't I tell you this story? Sure. I used to hang out in my grandma's dog's kennel and get told off for it. No, I was telling my mum, not you. Uh, yeah, I used to hang out in Joy Boy's kennel and boy, did I get in trouble. Yeah, Joy Boy, he wasn't happy. Or were you snuggling? No, he wasn't there. Oh, you just went he in there. He was elsewhere. Yeah, I loved it. Like a little house. What about the, like a playhouse. But what about the doggy smell in there? Well, that was the issue. I think yeah. that's what grandma and my mum weren't happy about, me coming out covered in dog hair yeah, and stinking. stinking. They were like, it's dirty. It is dirty. Don't do that. Well, look, you know, I would have been happy if Oksana had found a little dog kennel like that because what I imagine is it was more of a kind of lean-to, like some shitty makeshift, wow. you know, shelter. So, you know, she she was she was cold, so I guess she just went and found this, this makeshift kennel. Mm. And... Look, by all accounts, if you know, finding that kennel probably saved her life that night. But from then on, literally at three years of age, Oksana basically lived in that kennel with those mongrel oh dogs um, <gasps> until she was eight, right? Oh, my goodness. So it was basically six years she was in there. Holy cow. Now, I saw an interview of when they found Oksana. Who found her? I'll get to that. But this interview, like full disclosure, it was from Australian 60 Minutes. So oh, Ray Martin? No, it wasn't. George it was, Negus? It, I wish. I wish. Ian Leslie. Do you know what? Actually, speaking of Ray Martin. Yana went. It wasn't even Yana. It was so, look, oh. do you know what? It was from 2005. So they were all long gone. Oh, no one that I know. No, yeah. no. But... Speaking of Ray Martin, this thing popped up on my Facebook newsfeed the other day about It's a Shame About Ray, Lemonhead's album. Oh, right. 30 years old. Oh. It's 30 years since Evan Dando oh. released that album. And apparently, because do you know me, what? Evan. That is just like I was in Sydney at that time. You know, all the songs reference going up and buying drugs on King Street and, you know, all this yeah. kind of stuff. And, and you know, like through – through the circle, the music circle I was in, I was working at a record store called Waterfront at the time. And, you know, like everyone would come in, all the rock stars who were in Australia were all coming into our store. So I met all these people. And so it really evokes a specific time for me, that mm. album. But apparently he did write It's a Shame About Ray 
about Ray about Martin, Ray Martin. Being, <laughs> leaving the midday show or whatever he was doing. And I had no idea. So I thought it was really funny. Hilarious. Back to poor Roxana. So the interview that I saw was from 2005. She was 22 years old at the time. Oh. And look, there's even a, a translated interview with Oksana in this segment. And actually, the footage that mm. 60 Minutes used, it's all over the internet. It's like the most famous footage of when she was younger. In this interview, she says that when she was living with the dogs, she would talk to the dogs and they would bark back at her and she would repeat their bark. And that's how they wow. learned to communicate with each other. And, and look, So she can speak dog. Yeah, she can speak dog. And also, look, at that age when any child raised by humans would be learning like all the behavioural norms of whatever culture they were in. Like That's amazing. Yeah, like, you know, learning to talk and eating with a fork and spoon and that kind of stuff. You know, Oksana didn't have any of that. You know, her parents basically abandoned her and she was living with these dogs. From the dogs, she learned how to navigate life and she literally had no skills that kids of her age would normally have because you know there was no school for her she ate with her tongue like a dog instead of using her hands and cutlery oh she drank like a dog using her tongue lapping yeah she couldn't talk or walk like a human you know she was on all fours and wow yeah and look over those six really formative years that she was raised by these dogs she mimicked all the the behaviors of a dog and I'm not joking when I saw this footage of Oksana and her dog-like behavior it is fucking chillingly accurate I mean they put the the camera on her and she starts barking and it sounds like a fucking dog and it's not a human trying to be a dog it sounds like an actual dog. And there's this footage of her sort of sitting upright like a dog would on its hind legs with its front legs straight in, in front. Yeah. That's how she sits. And But what's amazing is it, she's not just sitting in a dog position. She's doing like all the little micro movements that dogs would do. Like She can't move her ears up and down though, can she? No, but she's her head is snapping and she's her <gasps> muscles are twitching. Like her whole body is twitching like a dog. Oh it's God, really Michelle, unnerving. This is it is. It really is. And what's really like astonishing is when she runs. She's on all fours. She can't walk. She's on her knees and her hands and she's oh bouncing like a dog bounces. And you know how when dogs bounce like you see the coordination of the legs and the yeah. and the feet and whatever are different to how a human could ever try and imitate a dog. That's how she's walking. It's insane. And then there's this moment on the footage where, you know, the camera's at a, it sort of focused on her. She bounds up to the camera like a dog would and goes, rah, rah, starts barking in the face of this camera, like, fuck off, I'm a dog. She's almost knocking over the camera, you know, and... <sighs> It was kind of scary because you, even though like your brain can see she's not a dog, you're looking at a dog, you know, it's really, really disturbing. And, you know, especially when she's panting and her tongue is out, her whole body is like up and like panting and moving like a dog's Mm. would. This is not someone who's just like, oh, I'm just going to act like pretend I'm a dog. Woof. 
I mean, she's a fucking she's assimilated everything. Wow. To do oh, with wow. with being a dog. And I don't know what the parents were thinking because by all account, the mongrel farm dogs were being fed by the parents. Yeah. But just being thrown raw meat. Right, okay. And they were throwing it to Oksana as well. What? Did they see her daughter their daughter? They knew she was out there. Of course they knew she was out there. For six years she was living out there and they just fed her the raw meat. (gasps) And so, you know, they knew she was out there living like a dog. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they had no concern for what she was eating, how she was living, nothing. They they literally abandoned her within their gaze. So it's like this is, I mean, aside from this being like, what the fuck? This is one of the most horrific cases of child abuse and yeah. child neglect and abandonment, you know. But look, no one else knew that Oksana was living out there because by all accounts, she's Ukrainian, right? Mm-hmm. This this all happened in the Ukraine and it was quite a remote farm. Yeah, like I said, no one else knew she was being raised by dogs. But it was only when a neighbour who came onto the farm saw her and noticed that she was basically a dog and this neighbor like raised the alarm and called the police and said listen you need to rescue this kid Mm. so thank god yeah and i read this article where apparently when the police arrived oksana like a dog charged at the police you know and all the dogs was going crazy because they sensed danger from the police because the bond between these dogs and Oksana was really strong you know she was one of the pack and they obviously felt that one of their pack was being threatened so the only way the police could even get Oksana away from the dogs was by trying to distract them with food and throwing raw meat. Otherwise, I wouldn't even have been able to get near her. Oh, my goodness me, Michelle. That's an incredible story. I'm not finished. No, I know. I'm not done. (laughs) But I'm beside myself. I'm just just trying to take it all in. I just was not ready for this. (laughs) Because you always think of, like, feral children, you know, like, being like, oh, it's all a bit... Like Mowgli from the Jungle Book. Yeah, yeah, but it's not at all. But... It turns out that in some ways, Oksana was a bit of a miracle in that after she was rescued, yeah. she responded really well to all the behavioural therapy she was given. And she actually learned how to speak and eat like a human and walk on two legs yeah. and even dance and have a relatively normal human conversation with people. Yeah. But as you can imagine, her intellectual and her social development were severely stunted. Yeah. In 2005, where that footage I watched was from, you know, she was living in a special needs care home in the Ukraine because cognitive tests they did on her estimated that she had basically the mental age and capabilities of a five-year-old. So she's 22, but basically five. So... You know, when I was thinking about this case, what I found really thought-provoking was how crucial those early years are to cognitive and behavioural development. Yes, that's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because when you think about it, she missed out on basically any kind of human contact in her early years. And she missed out on learning basic human social skills Mm. that... You know, when you're a child living in a human family, 
I think you just learn these things through osmosis and role. You're seeing your role models and you're mimicking behavior. So yeah, you know there are things that she will just never be able to do. Like she's missed some really vital stages. I mean, this we're yeah. just doing. I've been studying psychodynamic theory recently, mm-hmm. and it makes a lot of sense why it works because yeah. it's from pre-vocab right through to early twenties are all those marks that you have to hit and stages that you need to go through in order to be well-rounded or not. But even even more than that, it's about brain development and all of these cognitive processes that need to be developed and stimulated in the front frontal cortex, Yeah, which if you don't have that, you can't go back. You can't go back to that that healthy sponge-like brain, which is, you know, forging all those connections and and wiring up, it's really hard to go back. And they said she will never be able to read. She's past that. She'll never drive a car or have a job. It's really heartbreaking because it didn't fucking have to be like that. She was this little girl that just got thrown out of the house. So what happened to her parents? Uh, I don't know. I imagine they were charged. I hope so. But... I God, that's a really good question. I should have looked into that. At no point, because I was just so astonished by just the cruelty of Oksana's story. I, I didn't even look to see what happened. Do you know what? I will look that up and I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Because it is heartbreaking. And when you hear the translation of what Oksana is saying about being a human, it's really sad because she says she's just really lonely. Oh. And, you know, because she's in this special needs care home and she spends most of her time out walking with dogs Mm. and when she's feeling really low she says her default is to get on all fours and be a dog again wow you know that kind of behavior that default reflex to go back I guess makes her feel safe and she doesn't really have any friends because the people around her are basically her carers so she spends a lot of time on her own and she likes the solitary kind of feeling because she can just go into the forest which is near the care home okay. and no one can see that she's back to her dog behaviors right. you know she doesn't tell anyone no one can see her so I feel like she's a human but she probably feels more comfortable being a dog and there's just no place in our society for that you know do you know what's fascinating Michelle what is when you were talking about the development of the brain and the fact that she's missed all these crucial points where she could have learnt and the brain wasn't mm. being used or exercised Stimulated in such a way. The, the wiring, yeah. Who's to say that the way that we have conducted our society is the right way? I mean, perhaps we could be more evolved. Yeah. Well, who knows? I think we've just hit on a formula as a culture. Because the you easy know, way. it's also different in, in different cultures yeah. too, right? Yeah. But we've in our culture and in our society we've We've decided that this is the way, you know, at five years of age, you go to preschool. At six, you're in kindergarten. At seven, you are in school. These are the way we've structured our society. But yeah, yeah you're right. Maybe these structures can be improved. I, I don't know. But certainly being raised by a dog is not, not a ideal. great start for no. a human child. There was a psychologist on this program called Lynn Fry who talked about the process of what Oksana mentally went through um, in order to kind of learn to live with those dogs. And she describes it as basically a a give and take relationship. So the dogs are giving Oksana acceptance and love and protection. And in return, 
what Oksana had to give was she had to give up her human behaviours to take uh-huh. on dog behaviours to prove that she was, you know, worthy of, of, of the, the dog's acceptance and love and protection. Mm. So, you know, she had to become part of the pack. So for her, I think it was a situation of kind of adapt or die. Mm. And so if she had to like eat that raw meat or scavenge in the bins, then that's what she was going to do. Otherwise, she quite literally would not have survived. Mm. And what we have to remember here, and I I did touch on this before, is she is a neglected, traumatized child who did miss out on those crucial windows for development and acquiring those necessary skills needed to develop in the way that humans should develop. And I did read this thing where depending on the age of at which the child is taken away from human contact and then the age at which they're reintegrated into human contact, that's crucial because if they're found too late, they have missed the boat on so many development patterns because they have missed those windows and it's gone. It's shut. Mm. They can potentially learn some things. But for example, I I was listening to this podcast about this feral child called Jeannie, Mm -hmm. who she, I mean, it was shocking what happened to her. I'm not going to go into it. But when they found her, she was, I think, 16 or something, but she was completely wild. And they say that as a child, you know, you start by saying, mama, and then you say, you know, the next thing is putting two words together. So, yes, mama, or no, mama. Mm. And then, you you know, it goes to, yes, mama, now. So, you're building. And once you hit three words together, apparently then it's like, everything explodes and you start saying, yes, mommy, I want those strawberries. You know, like, uh-huh. it's very, very quick. But this girl, Jeannie, she could manage two words occasionally three and she never got past three and that's the thing like you know these traumatized children they just never have the capability to to move forward so this obviously explains why she had the mental capacity of a five-year-old apparently I think with Oksana they you know they did testing on her and they have found that her frontal cortex connections were damaged from not Mm. having any stimulation so you know those long-term effects, not just for her, but for all neglected children. Like, it's full on. And apparently that can increase stress responses. So, like, the fight or flight response is really heightened in children who have missed those developmental windows. But it also makes them more hyperactive. And they can't handle stress. And it's, it's all just bad news for Oksana. I did try to find out, like, where is she now? The most I could find was there. she did an interview on Ukrainian TV in 2013. But it wasn't subtitled. So I I don't know what exactly was said. But there was a a brief summary where apparently she did talk about herself. She answered questions as best she could. um, And she said she just wanted to be treated like a normal human being. And that she gets upset when people call her dog girl. Oh, who does that? Well, I guess people who want to be cruel. Because, you know, she's she's a five-year-old in, in now, a 30-year-old's body, yeah. you know. And the thing is, she said she feels really sad that her biological brothers hardly visit her. Oh. And 
that her dream in life is to find her biological mother. Oh, dear. So, you know, it's just really sad. But she did talk about having a boyfriend. Oh. And that she loved her life in the care home and she loved, you know, working with animals on the farm. So... Look, she looked really childlike. You know, she just she had the demeanor of a of a six year old. She did seem really shy and scared, but you know, I think at this point, all you can really hope for for her is that she's happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the story of Oksana. Wow, Michelle. Awkward. Ox. This throws up so many questions around the nature nurture debate of whether, you know, we're a product of our genes or our environment. You know, there are so many studies that make the case for both sides. So I don't think it's conclusive that it's one or the other. Maybe during your degree, you have discovered something more about this. I don't know. What I find really interesting is that cases like Oksana's are situations that Obviously, scientists would never be allowed to create because of the ethics behind conducting an experiment where you rip a toddler away from their family and throw them into a dog kennel and expect them to live like a dog. So obviously, it's never going to happen. But, you know, when these cases of naturally occurring feral children do happen... They need to hop on in there. Yeah, it's really valuable to scientists. Although you also have to be careful because in the case of Jeannie... She was just treated like a lab rat. She had so many tests done on her. And this was in the 70s when I think the ethics around this kind of thing were a bit dodge. There is this one case I want to talk about. It's from the 1930s where it was basically the Wild West of behavioural science because ethics just went out the fucking window. This is a case of a married couple called Winthrop Niles Kellogg. I love that name. Winthrop. Winthrop. (laughs) Winthrop Winthrop Niles Kellogg and his wife Luella Uh and they were both animal psychologists they decided when their son Donald was 10 months old that they would raise a baby chimpanzee alongside Donald to see whether raising the chimp as a human in a human environment alongside another human i.e. their son Donald whether that would influence a chimp's development and make the chimp more human. They went out and found this seven and a half month old female chimp called Gua. Uh And from the moment Gua arrived, both Donald and Gua were treated the same. They both wore nappies. They were bathed together. They were fed the same food, the same way. They both slept in like human beds, not together. They sat in high chairs and they were just taught all the same things. And there is actually footage on the internet of Donald and Gua that I've seen. And, you know, it's actually not so shocking in and of itself, but it's kind of fucked up. Yes. And I'll sort of tell you why. Okay. Because... You know, you see on this footage that Winthrop is teaching both of them to eat baby food with a spoon and feed themselves, and they both do it. There's no difference between the coordination of the chimp and the baby. But I did read, of course, this is not nice, that the parents did go a bit far with it all, and apparently both Donald and Gua were subjected to some pretty grim tests oh no yeah so what Winthrop would do is get a spoon and like repeatedly hit the heads of the baby oh my god and then the chimp 
I'll hit your head, Winthrop. I know. And he did it because he wanted to see if there was any difference in the sound a human skull oh made when, God, like, Winthrop. smacked on the head compared to a chimp's skull. Oh, for fuck's sake, Winthrop. It's a good job that Gua didn't rip his bloody face off. I know. Well, Gua, Gua was just a little baby. but And then they doing things like how many times can you spin like a baby and a chimp around before they would no. lose their shit and start crying? You're not supposed to do that, Winthrop, you fuckwit. Honestly. <laughs> <sighs> and look, all of these tests went on for nine months, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, all Fuck meticulously that. recorded. Because... You know, Winthrop and, and Luella were both comparative psychologists and they were really invested in conducting test after test after Monstrous. test on, on Donald and Gua. Plus, they did a lot of other tests like blood pressure, body size, reflexes, depth perception, vocalisation, memory, reactions to tickling, strength, manual dexterity, problem solving, fears – Fuck knows what they did for that one. Shit. Equilibrium, play behavior, climbing, obedience, grim, grasping, language comprehension, attention span, scribbling. And you can see with all of that list why this went on 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh. They were right in it. I hate and, them. You know, and there were loads of other stuff that they did that was kind of mean. Like they put them into a labyrinth and forced them to find their way out. They're babies. Ten-month-old, seven-and-a-half-month-old chimp, right? Oh, my God. But what they did that was even really cruel was while they were in the labyrinth, they would change the parameters of the labyrinth. So it was really confusing. So even if they tried to go back and find their way out, it was changed. That's scary. So they were just fucking with these these, I say kids, these babies' minds, baby, baby chimp and baby baby. For a while, it actually seemed that Gua was doing way better at all of these tests compared to Donald. However, after they both turned one, according to the reports, it was clear that Gua's physical kind of advantages were one thing, but mentally Donald was like forging ahead because he was trying to start to formulate words. And pretty soon they sort of realised they'd hit the the limit of the chimp's intelligence. And... They say that's why the experiment was ended. But, but, thing is, the experiment was meant to go on for five years. But like I said, it only went on for nine months. One report I read said that the tests and the research, because it was all so meticulous, it, it was crazy because they had outlined every single bit of every test, but they didn't really say why they ended the experiment. And mm. and some people say it was just because they were knackered. But there were some other theories here. Um, And one of this was apparently Luella was growing increasingly worried because although the experiment was designed to see how quickly a chimp would adopt the behaviours of a human, Mm. turns out Donald was becoming more chimp than human. Oh, shit. It was completely backfiring. So he started imitating Gua's chimp noises and his own language development was non-existent Mm-mm. at these milestones that you, children are meant to hit. Then Gua and Donald would wrestle together in a way that looked like kind of wild animals going at it than human play. Mm-hmm. And also Gua had taught Donald how to spy on people beneath doors. What? He, yeah, yeah. And also Donald began 
biting people in a really like chimpy way. Mm. And instead of trying to walk, he was moving around on all fours like a chimp. And when he wanted food, he would apparently start barking and grunting in the same way Gua would. It was clear that Donald was becoming more chimp rather than, you know, the human, like, well, than Gua becoming more human. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so after the experiment finished, Gua was sent away and mm-hmm. nice. died died of pneumonia a year later oh, at for age fuck's three. Sake. Oh. Yeah, not much is known about Donald except how he ended up. You know, which after considering a, a he had such a bizarre start in life, it was reported that he killed himself at age forty three oh in nineteen seventy three. And I don't know if his early fucked up chimpy life had anything to do with that, but yeah. Wow, that Michelle. is the story of Gua and Donald. So, yeah. Yuck. Sad shit. Drop it. Well, my story this week, Michelle, is based on a podcast that I recently listened to. So, apologies. If you wanted to listen to this podcast, it's called <laughs> Wild Boys. It's by Chameleon. Wild uh, Boys. Sorry. Never <laughs> Wild Boys. <laughs> Love that. I loved your ad. Your ad. Thank <laughs> you. Oh, I thought you said loved my version of Wild Boys. Oh, yes. No, you too. Yes. Thank you. So it's on Campsite Media. The show host Sam Mullins was a teenager in his local town of Vernon in British Columbia when this controversial story came to his town. British Columbia, Canada. Yeah. In the shape of two teenage boys living in a tent behind the local store in 2003. So the locals who spotted these boys were worried about where they were from because they looked really unkempt and very, very thin. So one local lady by the name of Tammy Ryder noticed they visited the store every day to buy fruit. And so she decided to leave some money with the sales assistant and her phone number and said to the shop assistant, will you please make sure that those two boys get this? Get my okay. number and this money to buy why didn't stuff. They just, why didn't she just give it to the boys? <laughs> She wasn't going to hang around. I think she just thought, you know, just leave the money. Okay. So Tom, who's 23, and Will, 15, Green, Tom and Will Green, 15 and 23. Tom's 23, Will's 15, (laughs) to make more sense of that. They called Tammy and then they went off to meet her. Yeah. So when they met, they revealed that they had trekked to Vernon after a lifetime of isolation, living with their parents in a cabin in the woods near a place called Revelstoke, which was many, many miles away. They had no ID, they'd never been to school, they certainly had no idea about popular culture and they never had watched a TV, eaten a birthday cake, had a birthday party or listened to the radio, nothing. They didn't know who Beyonce was. Oh my God, what a travesty. (laughs) (laughs) They definitely didn't know who Duran Duran was. (laughs) They certainly wouldn't have known that. So Tammy, who is a mother to her own children and a very kind-hearted lady, sorted them out some accommodation at the nearest youth hostel and preloaded a credit card for them to use. And she instigated this through the whole community. They were all contributing. And she really took them under her wing. The kindness of people always, like, well, it never ceases to astonish me because what just kind-hearted person. Amazing. Well, she completely mothered them and, you know, included them in the community and everybody was caring about them and worried about them. 
But she was really concerned about the parents and she really wanted to let the parents know, as a mother herself, that they were okay. So she eventually persuaded them to take her out to where they had come from to talk to their parents. So they got in her car, drove for hours and hours, and then the boys made her stop at a certain point near the bush and they went in. They said, don't try and follow us. We're just going to go because they'll frighten easily the parents. So off they went for hours. And when they finally returned to Tammy, they told her that the parents didn't want to know and that she wasn't to chase them up. And that was that. Oh. They were apparently hippies, the parents, you see. Uh, they had dropped out of society many, many years before. And their names were Mary and Joseph. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, fake names, I would imagine. <laughs> but do you know what? Like... I can I can see like go, getting off grid. What year was this, by the way? Sorry, I forgot. Two thousand and three. Mm. Okay, so look, do you know what it was? All, it was just after the whole Y two K thing. You know, I can see that a lot of people were living off grid, but these kids yeah. had obviously been off grid for for many years. So obviously. <laughs> oh. <laughs> As time went on, Will, who was already really skinny, became dangerously ill due to the boys' oh. strict fruitarian regime. They wouldn't eat anything even with a root, especially Will. He was completely oh fruitarian. Yeah. Okay. So eventually, after a long time, he had yep. to be hospitalized. And he, even his older brother, Tom, he wouldn't acknowledge how ill poor Will was. Right. Shit. So Tammy is absolutely desperate to find the parents at this point. Mm. He's like six foot one and he weighed about 35 kilos. Oh, Jesus Christ. So you can imagine. So eventually one day the police picked him up outside the shop when he was buying all his fruit and avocados and things. He was forcibly taken to hospital. He just basically, you know, he was so weak he couldn't really just fight. collapsed. Yeah. yeah probably. He just sat in the car. And on the way there, the policeman was taunting him saying, oh, they're going to force feed you burgers and things like that. And that was horrific for Will because actually when he got to hospital, he was mm. diagnosed with orthorexia nervosa, which is an eating disorder characterised by an excessive preoccupation with eating healthy food. Really? Yeah. I've never heard of that, but I get it. I I understand that that could be a thing. Mm. Mm, And fruit, you can't just live on fruit. You can't. No, you can't really. It's too full of sugars. So the media caught wind of this and a TV crew from Canada's current affairs show disclosed you. I'll say that like Stephen Toast. (laughs) Disclosed you. Disclose, yeah. Disclose, yeah. Swooped in. But it wasn't because he was, you know, like abandoned. They were from the bush. The bush boys. But it was because he was from the bush or because he yeah. had this. Both. Orthon- okay, all right. Orthorex- orthorexia. Orthorexia nervosa. Yeah. Shit. So the media loved this story. So they came along, but the hospital staff wouldn't let them go in with TV cameras to film Will. But they did manage to convince Tom to go in. So. They did interviews with him and it was broadcast. Even though the TV program was Canadian, it was also shown in the US, where Mm -hmm. someone who recognised the boys saw the program and reached out to the boys' real mother. Not Mary, but a lady called Diana Horn. So she then managed to get hold of Tammy. So poor Tammy, who had been desperately trying to find the boys' parents, paying for them to have a roof over their head and food, worrying about them, taking them to appointments, trying to get them sorted out with social care. She was completely undone by this one phone call. So she got such a shock when Diana rang and told her the boys' names were Kyle and Rowan Horn and that they were raised in the suburbs of Sacramento in the United States. What? No. They had run away from home and been missing for the for 10 months. 
Oh, my God. I thought you were yeah. going to say 10 years. No, 10 months. <gasps> and how long had Tammy been looking after them? It was months, a matter of months, I think. I think it was about six months. I'm not sure. But Tammy was fucking devastated. And oh, my God. You would just feel like such a fool. Yep, You'd absolutely. feel so foolish. That's how she felt. She's devastated oh. to this day. She reluctantly took part in this podcast, actually. Oh, my God. Because it hurts still so much now. Of course. You, you, you show all this kindness and care and actually mm. someone's just having a big fucking laugh at your expense. Well, the that thing would is, hurt. Oh. Will or Rowan, he almost died, Michelle. And these boys were just, they weren't taking it seriously at all. But what really happened? Why did the boys lie about where they were from? So what happened was in June 2003, Rowan had become obsessed with his diet after years of acne and other health concerns. In fact, he'd had a bike accident at age 11 and he came very close to death. And since then, he was completely obsessed by death. He started becoming a vegan and then he moved to being a fruitarian. And then, as I mentioned, nothing with a root because that was an issue. Uh, So no carrots, no beetroots, nothing with roots. At one point, he did the colour diet, which if you have ever read the book, I think it's Leviathan by Paul Oster, you'll know about that because there was an artist who would only eat on certain days white food or red food. So he did that for a while. Oh, Jesus. Eventually, he lost so much weight and became so poorly that the local child and adult protective services made efforts to remove him from the family home and send him to a rehab hospital where he would in all likelihood be force fed. And that to him was the worst possible thing that could possibly happen. Okay, so is that when he ran away? So at that point, he ran away from the family home and he stayed hidden for a little while until eventually let his older brother Kyle know. So the two absconded to Canada and Kyle had already been talking about wanting to go to Canada. For an extended right. time. He was he had been kicked out of home because he wouldn't get a job. So both boys were quite troublesome. There are other siblings as well in the family, but they were kind of like towing the line a bit more, but these two were wild cards. Yeah. Wild boys. The two <laughs> packed the two packed their camping gear and hitchhiked their way there. Once they're at the border of Canada and the US, they just walked across Michelle. No one stopped them. Well, that's a thing, you know. I mean, here you can ski over from Italy into Switzerland. Boom. No yeah, one's looking at anything. There are boom, these borders. Yeah. Yes. So the parents were so worried about Rowan, but they thought Kyle had gone on a holiday. Well, he would call them now and then on the journey, yeah. never revealing that the two were together, but always just placating the parents saying, oh, look, mum and dad, I'm sure he's fine. Don't worry about it. Right. And then as winter began to draw in around October, the two began to come up with a backstory because they thought we're going to have to move closer to town. And they were running out of money as well. So... By the time their parents discovered that Rowan was near death in a Canadian hospital and his older brother had allowed this to happen, Rowan was so thin that when his mother walked into the hospital and and saw him, she was able to pick him up like a baby and cradle him (gasps) in her arms. Oh, my God. Look, you're a mum. Can you imagine seeing your child like that? Mm. It would be fucking heartbreaking. Horrific, yeah. So they stayed there together, Rowan and his mum, for 33 days the bills bankrupted the family because obviously they had to pay for the health care, but the treatment was working and it wasn't as bad as what Rowan had feared. So he was quite welcoming the Canadian system. They, they recognised his orthorexia and they treated it and he was gaining weight. He was doing really well. Lucky, lucky. But then he was discharged and the pair were deported. So this is mum and Rowan. Well, right. Rowan so much was deported and his mother had to go home too. They were separated and Rowan was helicoptered back into the United States where Child Protective Services were there to meet him. 
to place him in their own rehab program. And they undid all that work because they did not recognize his orthorexia, treated him as an anorexic. So it was exactly what he had been avoiding all that time. No. Oh, God. And he says, What it was a awful. shit show. What a shit show. It was. Yeah, real shame. And it left behind a whole trusting town of locals completely bewildered and duped, unfortunately. Because yeah. the boys didn't seem to be very remorseful. Right. So then the, the podcast guy, uh, Sam, I think his name was, he does a Where Are They Now? couple of episodes at the end. So understandably, like I said before, Tammy was reluctant to appear because she'd been so badly duped. But the boys said of her that they saved her life, their lives. So by the time that Rowan had been picked up by the police, that was around the time that Kyle, the older brother, had decided enough is enough. The experiment's gone too far. It's time to call mum and dad. So he was on the verge of, of packing it in as well. Right. So the boys' family in the podcast, they all seemed very supportive of the boys. But they had a tendency as a family to believe a lot of conspiracy theories like oh, anti-vaxxers, uh, QAnon, all of that kind of thing. Right. And magical thinking. Magical thinking. Mm. Uh, since the boys' time in, in Vernon, Rowan went on Zoltan's presidency campaign. Do you know who Zoltan is? I can't remember no. his last name. He's a transhumanist. <laughs> who went on who was Sorry. on the on the 2016 <laughs> presidency campaign so he he was up against trump and all the others hillary um transhumanism which is a philosophical and intellectual movement which advocates the enhancement of the human condition by developing and making wi- widely available sophisticated technologies that can greatly enhance longevity and cognition michelle and it predicts the event inevitability of such technologies in the future so it's almost like that is insane terminator made of machines it's stuff. kind of a joke because i don't know if you've ever been to la on the boardwalk i think it's in santa monica there is zoltan you know those kind of carnival games and he's zoltan the fortune teller it's like really famous and you put a coin in and zoltan tells you your fortune and it's it, i mean that is it's almost a joke that this guy is called Zoltan. <laughs> He's a Hungarian immigrant, so okay. it's nothing to do with that. He didn't name himself after the game. He's right. named Zoltan Ifstal or something like that. And okay. he is uh, he's an author. He's written books on transhumanism. It's massive, Michelle, and it's something we ought to be looking into. And in fact, if we do any uh, extra droppings this week, I'd like to talk a bit more about that. But... Going on to Rowan, he became a YouTuber and his main project that he's putting all his efforts into is Living Forever. He is the chairman of the Eternal Life Foundation and he thinks that if you want immortality enough, it's yours. Well, yeah, good luck with that because, (laughs) you know, we're all in these like meat suits that perish and die. Yes, I believe your energy and your spirit can go on eternally but the body sorry he wants to hang on to his meat suit as well i think so some (laughs) of his posts on tumblr are things like death wants you to get your flu shot and don't (laughs) eat gmo food unless you want to die and then there's a video of rick astley's never going to give you up with the comment if people just followed this advice in the song there would be far less breakups and broken hearts the song speaks of having full Commitment in a monogamous relationship. The only kind of relationship worth having. Hashtag eternal monogamy. Hashtag Rick Astley. Never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you down. <laughs> so so that's Kyle and Rowan Horn, the Bush boys, oh who God. weren't actually boys from the bush after all. But 
dangerously misled about diet. Well, Look, it's, it's a disease. So it you is. And, it. and you think about it. I mean, I don't really know too much about anorexia and certainly I don't know anything about orthorexia nervosa. But, you know, there must be consequences to your mental health of restricting your diet that much. Yeah. And I think once you go down that slippery slope, because, you know, obviously – you know you're making bad choices because your body's not being fed properly so the fear for him of having to be force-fed burgers was absolutely palpable like he was he was moved to run away yeah terrified enough to run to another country thing is yes I I realized they had to you know make up a story to be able to survive because they were living in a tent behind a supermarket eating fruit but to prey on the kindness of people and kind of dupe them it's oh it's horrible I mean look anyone who's ever had a breakup where they've felt really hard done by because you know they felt duped or cheated on or whatever like lied to lied to the pain and the mental inability to just be able to reconcile what just happened to you and the motivations of the person doing it to you it's it's a lot. It's horrible. So I, poor old Tammy in that community. I really feel for them. Because once that happens as well, you, you do have this inherent trust. mistrust going forward. Absolutely. And it's not fair to that person. No, but also I think on the flip side of that, you have to accept that these boys have some mental health issues. So, you know, they're not just devious, horrible boys. They have some some problems. There was a real fear there, absolutely, and driven, like you said, by his orthorexia. Yeah. So that's the story of the wild boys on Chameleon podcast show I found on Luminary. But there are other ways of listening to it, I think, as well. I'll I'll put some, some links in the show notes. Thanks for the wild boys. Oh boys! Love it, love it. Me, <laughs> you can't. You couldn't see Jordy's face, and she just did amazing. The Lebon In- face. <laughs> oh my do you remember Duran Duran on Live Aid when they made some boo boos? I did think Lebon made some vocal boo boos. Yeah. What does I think Simon his voice do? cracked during Wild Boys. I think oh. maybe some other things happened. Some things went wrong for them. They oh were quite God. late in the day. Live ah. Do you remember that? I do, I do. Back in the day. I feed just, the world. Feed. The, I still listen to that every Christmas and tears me we up. We can't help it. I know, it's all over the radio. Love it, love it. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for that amazing story. Thank you for yours. Thought-provoking. All right then. Well, Geordie, thank you once again. All right, babes. Lovely to see you and look, Geordie. Lovely to see you. Yes. And whatever you do. And wherever you are. <laughs> just keep. Eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.